0: I think I wanted it to be a a learning experience I wanted to go around and profile the gardens that I'd heard about in the area and learn from them learn their successes and failures what how they achieved their look um, any words of wisdom for someone starting out and that sort of thing so that's what I that's what the garden club started out as and it's since evolved quite a lot since then
1: Hello and welcome to Life on the Land, a Crazy Her podcast telling stories of rural and regional women across Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. Today on Life on the Land, we're celebrating spring. All over the country, people are throwing open their windows, allowing the sweet spring air to infiltrate homes and minds and awaken our senses. In most parts of the country, it's a wonderful season, worth celebrating. There are still parts of the country that are dry and dusty, insipid almost, and we're thinking of you. Today's guest is Claire Austin, and she's lived through that. It was during times of drought, especially, that her wonderful homegrown gardening community became all the more important. She started the Gingin Garden Club as a way to glean tricks from local green thumbs about gardening in a harsher climate. Now it's become so much more than that. A welcoming community for other young local women to come together and foster their own patches of nature, an online store, and even reason to take part in Grazy Her's spring edition's cover shoot amongst a sea of blossom. More about that later. But this conversation starts at her home. Gingin Station, which, for those of you who don't know, is in western New South Wales.
0: Gingin is um, about an hour northwest of Dubbo in central west New South Wales. It's actually not a town or anything, it's just a sort of an area name, and I live on Gingin Station, so it sort of has formed the name of, of the garden club
1: paint me a picture Claire tell me what uh your just really briefly what your days are looking like at the moment
0: um so at the moment my days are long I've got two little kids so um one of them wakes up very early but my weeks are pretty structured I work three days a week uh remotely for a company based in Sydney and then the other four days I'm at home with the kids so we spend a lot of time um, in the garden, uh, playing, uh, they help me in the veggie garden a little bit uh, by carrying, oh, I don't know, seeds around, and I've got beetroot and carrots popping up everywhere, most random spots, and um, yeah. So our days, our days at home when I'm not working are, are really nice. Um, I find the first day back after um, after my three days working, I find that a bit of a struggle um just winding down and and um spending the time with the kids but then the other 3 days we get a bit more into a routine and and those days are great
1: that childhood for your kids sounds so idyllic claire was it similar for you what did your days look like as a child
0: oh it was to- it's totally similar and i absolutely love the fact that i can give them the same sort of upbringing that we had um as kids and we, as kids, we I think we just spent so much time outdoors that I have such strong memories of running around like in the garden, making cubbies or riding bikes and making ridiculous bike jumps and um, I was one of four kids, and we're all really close together, so we played a lot together um I remember my youngest brother, we always used him as our guinea pig and we were always creating like huge, garden ju- uh, huge bike jumps and off-loading ramps and uh, just doing crazy things. Um, but we spent a lot of time outside and um, riding bikes to grandparents' places and making cubbies, swimming in dams, all that sort of fun, idyllic childhood stuff.
1: I love it. Tell me what your garden was like or your, or your mum and dad's garden was like as you grew up.
0: Um my mum would honestly say that she's a brown thumb. Um she we didn't have we had a big backyard and just lawn and trees which was perfect like she loved that. She didn't have I guess cuz we were so close together in age we we're all a year apart. So she probably didn't have much time to to garden but um it was it had really hardy sort of plants and uh a, an olive hedge an olive Um, hedge which I've now planted in my garden this year because it was such a beautiful hedge and so hardy and it survived you know all the dry periods so I've replicated that but um, mum and dad have some beautiful bougainvilleas and just some of the really old school plants and I need to start taking some cuttings from those and trying to get them started in my garden as well. So did you
1: it sounds to me like in your childhood memories are more of just the outdoors but and that the garden did bring you together, but not necessarily.
0: No, not necessarily. So my grandmother, who I guess it was a similar setup to a lot of family farms. The grandparents moved out of the big house and um, they were on an, in a, another house close by. So we spent a lot of time riding our bikes up to to their house and Um, she was a big gardener. And I think she created a big, beautiful garden in the house that we grew up. And then when mum moved in, I think she took it all out. And mum only made the comment to me the other day how my grandmother would have been hating that, but she never, ever said anything. Um, But mum, mum took everything out and then just had lawn and trees. And my grandmother had the, had another beautiful garden up at the cottage. So we used to spend a lot of time up there picking roses in her garden and helping her in her garden. I remember doing a lot of watering and like the basic tending to a garden with her. She also had a greenhouse, so she was a really keen gardener. Um, so I remember spending a lot of time in the greenhouse growing cuttings and that sort of thing as well, which certainly my, my mother would never do that. Um, she She was not a gardener at all like it, she always had the garden looking beautiful and neat and tidy but it wasn't um wasn't you know overflowing garden beds or anything like that
1: I, I want to talk about your garden now um more heaps more in a minute but i do i am interested to know a little bit more about um yeah your course of life from um, childhood onwards what um did did you what about your schooling years were you schooled locally for primary and secondary school
0: Um, So I I grew up near Galarganbone on a farm there and we went into Galar for our primary schooling. So we were only 25 k's out of town and we caught the school bus every day and um, mum picked us up every afternoon and um, got home to like an amazing afternoon tea. I I don't know if that happened all the time, but that's my memory of it. Um, But yeah, so I went to Galar for primary school and then for secondary school. I went to Sydney, so I was in the the middle of the city in Sydney, and it was I think that one of the biggest culture shocks I've ever had in terms of going from a, a really small school uh, at Galar to one of the best schools in the state, sort of thing. Like it was such a contrast, and I had uh, at Galar I had a really small year, and. There, I was probably the only girl that was there from year from kindergarten to year six, and a few girls sort of came and went. But I didn't have any close girlfriends in my class. My sister was the year below me, and so I think I hung out with them a lot. Uh, and then I went to to school away in year seven, so it was a complete contrast to what I was used to. Did you enjoy it? I absolutely I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was. So incredibly homesick though, for the first year or two um really missed home and I think being the eldest, I just missed home even more like there wasn't anyone there that paved the path for me um i but I made some of the best friendships um out of out of school, and I've keeping contact with all my close friends from school we um have a whatsapp group, and you know we we touch base all the time so it's really it's really nice to keep in contact with them
1: what what do you think it was that you were homesick for can do you remember that was it the freedom outside or the rituals or the fact that you were missing out and all your siblings were together
0: yeah I think a combination like the obvious things like the space and going from having you know a huge playground being on a, a farm near Galar, uh, to a concrete jungle in Potts Point, which is, you know, in, in a city. So it's, it's totally different. And I, I missed the space. I missed my family. Um, we had lots of animals growing up. Like we always had a potty calf or potty lambs, or a, we had a pet joey at one stage. And we just had all these animals. And I, I think I missed that. And But I think being in the city, it was always, I I think I missed the silence of the country. I missed, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you could always hear sirens. And um, being in Potts Point close to King's Cross, there was always something going on. Like, I mean, it's changed so much. It's a completely different area now, but it was so loud and and I think I missed the silence.
1: So what happened after school?
0: Did you head Um, straight back home? I went... So finished school and then had um, the Christmas holidays and then I started straight at uni. So I studied ag science at Sydney Uni and I was there for four years. Um, I lived at one of the colleges on campus there um, for a couple of years and then moved out with flatmates for the last two years of uni. Um, so, yeah, I've always loved, I guess I've always loved growing things and um enjoyed agriculture so so that's why I studied it at uni
1: and how did it come to be like that,
0: that you how did you end up at Gingin? um well at uni I actually met my husband my now husband we studied ag science together and he was living at the the boys college next door so I met, met him through that but I where I live now and where I grew up is only 100 kilometers from each other and we didn't know each other um at school he went away to school in Sydney as well but we didn't know each other at school but our parents knew each other um so yeah it was it was strange to go so far to meet your like your potential husband but um but yeah I'm so lucky that I'm really close to home and my family now as well.
1: And surely that was part of what drew you two together that you that there was a you could be close to home and still be together.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um we I suppose we both sort of stuck out like sore thumbs at Sydney Uni. So we were both so country and um loved country life, um and used any opportunity to get to get home as well. So um yeah, definitely had a lot of a lot in common.
1: And what did you move back to? What was your home and garden like?
0: Um, so the, oh, six months or so before we got married, they'd bought another property and it had this beautiful old peasy home on it. So it's like a rammed earth um, house and the uh, the walls are made from clay soil that's on the farm and um and it's this beautiful old home, but it needed a fair bit of work. So we moved into that after we'd fixed the walls and the veranda. So we did a few a few little renovations and then we've gradually, over the last few years, um, chipped away at it. But it certainly, it hadn't been lived in uh, for probably 12 months. So being an old house and not lived in, it was starting to sort of show that it hadn't been lived in for a while and the garden was, really overgrown uh and you couldn't really there wasn't any structure to it um there were some beautiful old trees but nothing nothing else really a, a cute garden shed and it had jasmine growing up it and that I've kept that there and it's still thriving there today um but but it was I saw a lot of opportunity in it and a lot of potential but there was a lot of talk about bulldozers when we were first talking about moving in here.
1: <laughs> not from you though.
0: <laughs> not from me. I love the, I love old houses. I love, I love the history and I love um, I love the design and you know the the high ceilings and the old wooden floorboards. and we actually the, we started renovating the house first before the garden, and we pulled up a heap of lino off. The floor and under it there were newspapers um in their entirety um under the lino from 1948 and 1949 um so it was pretty cool ripping up the lino and seeing all of that
1: were you at that young age were you dreaming of gardens or did it take a while to kind of cultivate that
0: um I certainly appreciated them and I'd Often go to a, a beautiful garden, and, and when I was in the city, we lived close to the Botanic Gardens in Sydney, so I, I definitely appreciated them and loved them. But I, I hadn't dreamed about having my own garden or what it would look like or anything one day. Um, but I, I did wander. I loved wandering around the Botanic Gardens in Sydney or Centennial Park or you know all those beautiful spots. And then when I'd come out and and visit. James lived close to his parents, so and they had a beautiful garden, um, and so it was always lovely to wander through that as well.
1: So, lead me through the life of your of your own garden,
0: and what does it look like today? Um. So I started it. It's probably five years old now. Um, we, as I said, we sort of focused on the house for the first eighteen months or so, and then. James is a perfectionist, and I'm such a just do it now, don't care. Like I just want to, I just want grass. But he he may he said like we're not starting it. We've got to rotary hoe it and level it and do all of that first, and then you can start it. And so it wasn't until probably about a year after we moved in that we started on the garden and I actually planted something. So he, we put in a watering system and he was right. Like I, and he'll, if he listens to this, which I'm not sure if he will,
1: um,
0: (laughs) he, he was right. Like it was so good starting um, on that blank canvas and putting a watering system in and um, being able to start establishing it like that um, and having a plan in place to, and then I sort of focused on, on various areas. And now I look at it and I think gosh it's going to be so nice in 5 years time when the hedges are all grown and and um and it's sort of more established but if I think back to me 5 years ago I would have thought if I was here now I'd be pretty happy so um mm. at this spot so it's uh, my lawn is all established and I'm just working on the garden beds on the outside and they're maturing um I've got a big veggie patch that we started earlier this year which has been which has been going really well um and we're lucky that it's so um beautiful and grassy outside the garden fence because otherwise the ruse would absolutely hammer it because I need to get a garden fence around it but at the moment it's, it's fine um yeah
1: how would you describe the garden what kind of garden is it
0: um it's Got massive lawns um so like park like lawns, and then more formal hedging, and then it sort of is a bit free for all as you sort of um go into the back end of the garden beds, so I let things grow a bit more rambly, but it's certainly got strong defined edges and um and yeah like plants that border it so that it's sort of a bit more formal at the front and then party at the back really.
1: Uh, And is it English type plants or hardy native Australians?
0: Uh, It's a bit of a combination. So when I first started out, and this is really how the garden club started, I was looking in all these beautiful coffee table books and Instagram accounts from the high rainfall zones of Victoria or, or the southern highlands you know places that were totally unrelated or I could not grow the same sort of plants as they do here because our our climate's quite harsh that like we get the really hot long summers but then we get some frosts in winter so and then we don't get the rainfall of um of the high rainfall zones so we've got quite a harsh climate so I've had to Adjust my expectations and um, and grow some of the hardier types of plants, but it's it's definitely not English. It's probably I like the formal type of look um, and use plants like Japanese box and maria to achieve that, um, and a lot of Um They seem to thrive out here.
1: Mm. The Ginkin Garden Club, you've explained a bit about sort of what the inspiration for it was, but did that come come to you just sort of out of the blue or was there a seed in your mind that you wanted to do something similar like this and utilise social media to bring it to life that was boiling away, that was kind of just sitting there waiting to be born?
0: Uh, I think I was on maternity leave and um, we he's now one, our little boy, but I was constantly on Instagram and looking for inspiration and a lot of my plants were were dying off in the drought and we're on bore water so they weren't really coping with that or if they were they were just coping and I wanted to learn from others in the area like learn what had worked for them what hadn't and I started to contextualize it with their water and soil types as well and obviously coming from that ag science background I liked um, doing that component but I decided to use Instagram because I was taking photos of the garden. I really appreciated the photos um, and the information that that Instagram could provide. So it's sort of I was constantly on Instagram feeding this newborn baby and I was finding myself always looking for realistic inspiration, which I couldn't find. And so that's why and I started toying with the idea of, of creating something, and I noticed when I I put photos up on my personal Instagram account of my garden, people often commented and asked questions. So it sort of grew from that, and then I were on holidays, and I thought I might just get the ball rolling on this and see what happens. So I approached Emma Barrett, who is a graphic designer around here, and she um, did a logo for me, and I was really happy with that so so that sort of made me do it by investing in a logo I thought okay this is on I'm actually doing this
1: isn't it interesting about having to invest in a logo and you know actually putting some skin in the game to make dreams suck become a serious pursuit yes and <laughs> and I when I I
0: thought oh, I better not that anyone would take the um the handle Gin Garden Club, but I was like i might I'll set up the the um profile, but i didn't put it on private and then all of a sudden, um I had like i don't know five or ten people following me, and I thought oh like how do they even find this and then I worked out you had to put it on private um but then and people were messaging being like, Ah, oh, who is this? What are you doing like this sounds so exciting and um yeah it's sort of then certainly evolved since that first um logo development
1: more from claire in just a tick but now a word from our sponsor the rural financial counseling service new south wales southern region works with farmers foresters and fishers to help strengthen rural and regional communities by offering a confidential and expert sounding board to discuss your farm business plans and to help with strategies to reach your goals. Funded by federal and state governments, RFCS offer their services at no cost, giving farmers a leg up in tough times. Think of RFCS as a business partner who's an expert in agricultural financial management who can also connect you to a network of support designed for rural businesses rfcs strengthened their communities by helping rural businesses be prepared responsive and sustainable rural financial counseling service is an objective view from outside the farm gate where their only agenda is your success call them to talk about your farm's future success story 1-800-319-458 or rfcsnewsouthwales.com.au when you were ready to show it to the world, what did you want it to be about?
0: I think I wanted it to be a, a learning experience. I wanted I was really struggling with my plant selection and what to grow and I'd, I'd look at a photo and, of a beautiful garden and not know how to achieve it. And so I wanted to be able to put the steps in place as to how to achieve the look of, of a certain garden. And so I... I wanted to go around and profile some of the the gardens that I'd heard about in the area and learn from them, learn their successes and failures, what how they achieve their look, um, any words of wisdom for someone starting out, and that sort of thing. So that's what i that's what the garden Club started out as, and it's since evolved quite a lot since then.
1: I want to talk about the evolution definitely, but I'm so interested in how joyful that garden tour sharing of advice experience was not for but just for you but for the other people there too
0: did you love it oh I've loved it and you know every time so I I I still am profiling gardens but every time I go somewhere there's you know you go into the house and you have a cup of tea and they've often made a cake and Mm -hmm. um and the best thing about it is meeting people or getting to know people a lot better than I would have ever got to know them um, from a, a range of different age brackets and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's making new friends as well but, but learning so much from them and the experience is great and people are so passionate about it and as soon as you start asking them um, questions, they absolutely, you can tell they absolutely love it um, and so particularly, oh, sorry, Go on, you go on. I was going to say, particularly last year in the drought, um, people had created this amazing refuge and, um, and they often would talk about how important having that green space around, around the farm was and the importance of coming home to a, a bit of green and the lawn and, and sort of a refuge and protecting you from what was going on from outside the garden fence.
1: Absolutely. And what was the advice during the drought? Did people just say, don't worry too much about it?
0: Yeah, um, people said the biggest or strongest bit of advice was let go of your lawn first and keep the plants alive because the lawn won't take long to come back. And so I certainly held back on watering my lawn um, and focused on keeping the other plants alive. but then other bits of advice. The the key bit of advice everyone has always said is um, the best time to plant a tree was twenty years ago. Um, the next best time is now. So but everyone always says that. But then the other bit is uh, to plant what works and plant on repeat. So if it if it works for you, then just keep going. And and for me as much as I hated it at the start, oleanders and geraniums and those sorts of really hardy plants have worked well for me.
1: How do you feel about the community side of what you're doing here? Is there anything purposeful in that sense?
0: Um, When I started the garden club, I guess I always wanted to create an online community, but I wanted it to be a physical community as well. Like I wanted to be able to make it fun, like go around to a garden and Um, enjoy it and have you know cheese and bickies or whatever which I haven't really done that aspect yet but that I'd love to be able to do more open style gardens Um, but the community I didn't expect it to be such a strong community like I wanted to build to create a community but it's just become such an amazing community space so we I you put a post up on I don't know, like the other day I put a post up about my broccoli not growing. And there I would have had so many people be like, I'm in the same boat, and then other people were like, This is why it's happened. Um, so solving problems as well, which I, I like. Um, but then the other thing is like the community side of things, which is more specific to where I live, is we have a plant swap, which one of the um local gardeners who I've I've done a profile on her garden, she came up with the idea of using the Gingin Book Swap, which is another cool community venture out here, um, which is just a mailbox at the T intersection that I spoke about. And it has books that people um, don't want in their house anymore. And we basically use that mailbox as a plant swap. And so people bought cuttings or eggs or whatever they had to swap for other people's goodies. So it was pretty cool.
1: That's so cool. Did you meet there, or you just popped it in the mailbox and took what you like as you exchanged something of your own?
0: Well, it was during the peak COVID, that Easter long weekend, so we couldn't make it social, and and um, it was just a, a matter of um, just swapping it, and you didn't you didn't see anyone because everyone was so scared about um, being out on the road.
1: Would you like to see? It evolve, and I mean, it's an idea that could be set up in any community or any local area with young people who are interested in gardening.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it could be set up anywhere. And I guess Instagram was for me the perfect platform because uh, it was you were able to showcase the photos, but get the information out, um, and people could look at it and save it to look at later, or if they didn't have time you know, screenshot it and you can go through your photos and have a look at the information later. So I think it was a great platform in that regard um, to get it up and up and running. And, um, yeah, I think that gardening has become such a topic of conversation these days that it's really it's a useful resource to have all in one spot, all these garden profiles and um, information on plants and, and that sort of thing.
1: Mm, yeah, and do you think that I, I? You've answered this question already, really, but that gardeners and gardening in, in itself really helps to build community in country
0: areas. Oh, absolutely! I when I was first starting out the garden, I would have people turning up with runners, um, you know, grass runners or their favourite cutting, and and um, when I go and visit. And profile people's gardens I always leave with cuttings and people are so generous like that you know um, you're walking around their garden and they'll be carrying a shovel and take let you take whatever you like or um, ask you if you want any cuttings and often people have little um, pots of their favorite plants growing and and provide you with some so it's it's really special to have some people's favourite cuttings in my garden as well. And the success rate increases as well when you know that they can grow out here.
1: But the Gingin Garden Club isn't just about the profiles. There are other things that you have added to it as well.
0: Tell me about that. So I started, well, obviously I started it when I was on maternity leave and I'd started investing in logos and bits and pieces. And I decided not having an income for that year that it needed to pay its way a little bit because I was starting to spend quite a bit of time on it. And so I started dabbling in selling a, a few bits and pieces and mainly like garden goodies or outdoor sort of accessories. And so I I started that and then it got a bit more serious and I started a, a Shopify um, e-commerce store and was featured on Buy From The Bush and that was just amazing and did such amazing things um to sort of start my small business off
1: Mm, so good and what about the future Claire are you how do you hope it will grow even further
0: um at the moment I I'm treating every opportunity that arises as um like I want to jump on that opportunity I don't want to let opportunities pass because I'd hate to look back and be like oh I once had this garden club thing and it could have been a good thing but I didn't take it to the next level. So I I definitely am utilising any opportunity that I think fits in, obviously, with my brand. Um, But at the moment it's evolving organically and it just, I often come up with an idea of, say, I did a a garden event recently and had a guest speaker, Mickey Robertson, come out and talk on kitchen gardening. And we just, there was so much interest in that and, um, I, I love that aspect of bringing people together and, and learning together, but also making it fun. So we had like a long lunch and it was catered for in my garden. So so that sort of evolved organically. So there's not much of a strategy in place, but um, it's just seeing how it goes at the moment. But I, I, I'm very open to it evolving more.
1: Do you have any cheeky dream collaborations?
0: Um, I... I would love to do so I've always loved stationery and um linen and and those sorts of things. So I'd love to do something um like a garden diary or or um some outdoor accessories or something. I'd love to do something like that, but it's just um finding the time to do it as well.
1: Um you were involved in um part of the Grazy Her cover shoot for spring. Uh, along with a handful of other creatives. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came about?
0: Well Clancy Job was out here taking some photos of me for a different shoot and she asked me if I was free the following Thursday um, to be involved in a Grazy Her shoot with Sophie Hansen and Um, she said that Sophie was cooking some of her new recipes and I was like do we get to eat the recipes and she was like yes and I was like great I'm in count me in and then she was like oh and also M Swift from Printy Wines will be there and I was like so we get to eat Sophie Hansen's food and drink Printy Wines and she's like yeah and I'm like okay yeah sure I'll absolutely be there and then when I got there I'd sort of I've never really been on a professional photo shoot before and and it was so amazing to watch Sophie and Clancy work together. They're just um they are so relaxed, but then everything just comes together so beautifully and uh they're both so generous with their knowledge and time and um and so it was just it was amazing to watch actually. So um
1: yeah. So they're both snapping away use with their with their cameras and um yep. Tell me, to paint me, bring that to life a little bit more. Like What kind of things, what kind of direction were they giving to each other?
0: Um, So there was an absolutely beautiful almond tree. So it was at Hillside Harvest and they've got this, they had this beautiful almond tree and it was in full blossom and um, they set up this beautiful, it was just like a trestle table but then it just, Sophie has all these tablecloths and and Emma had bought beautiful flowers and Clancy's like oh I got this cool vintage mirror at a um a shop in Narromine that's just opened up and they put that on the table and all of a sudden like all these beautiful flowers like camellias and Daphne are like reflecting all over the place and um and then they then we had also beautiful like ceramics so I think they were Hope and Co and they just these stunning Mm -hmm. um coloured ceramics and Sophie put all of her food in there and it was just um it was just amazing watching it come to life and how how they created this beautiful little scene. Um, it was like we were enjoying lunch and Clancy was just sort of doing her thing, taking the photos as we were enjoying lunch and having a normal conversation. So it was it was so real, like it, we could have been having lunch anywhere. Um, and yeah, so Clancy was just snapping away and she'd grab a bite to eat in between taking photos. And um, yeah, it was it was it was fun.
1: Uh, What was your favourite part of that day? What did you love learning?
0: I loved – Clancy and I travelled, we road tripped together from – I met her in Narromine and we road tripped. So it was really nice spending um, those few hours with Clancy in the car. Um, But then getting there, it was – I just – I loved everything about it. It was just so much fun.
1: So before I let you go, Claire, I just want to ask you what you – what flower or tree maybe you're loving in the garden right now and what your favourite flower is for each season of
0: the year? Um, so right now I'm looking out my window and at my apricot tree, which has just finished flowering and is starting to get all the beautiful lime green sort of growth leaves come through. Um, I do I love that it shows every, every season um and now it's spring it's sort of getting its green leaves but um in terms of flowers spring I've for the first year I've planted poppies and tulips and sweet peas and so I've got a lot of color in the garden at the moment which I wouldn't I haven't done previously so I'm really loving that um for summer out here I don't think you can go past that agapanthus they um look pretty healthy most of summer towards the end they start to die off a bit but you get that beautiful purple flower in November um and December but then I autumn I love the autumn roses I think they're the best roses you can get except in spring like I get my Pierre de Ronsard's around the veranda which are also a favorite um and then winter winter I love the the native the gum blossoms i love the the colors of the blossoms on the gum trees
1: Mm. so beautiful well uh we'll watch on with interest claire i i really love what you're doing and i know that lots of other people do as well because i've had lots of conversations about it so yeah we'll watch on with interest and thanks so much for taking the time to to chat with us for
0: life on the land today Oh, thanks so much for having me, and yeah, thanks for talking gardening. Sorry, it um, can be a bit boring, but I think um, I think so many people are into it at the moment, so um, it's a really fun thing to do.
1: I think. Any rural woman would love to do what Claire is doing and take up any chance to have a peek into another's beautiful garden. So thank you, Claire, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you also to our sponsor, the Rural Financial Counselling Service, New South Wales Southern Region. And on this final episode of Season 1 of Life on the Land, we just have to thank you, as we always do, for listening and for supporting Grazy Her's podcast, Life on the Land. We are already working hard uh, to bring you more amazing stories for season two, which we'll be launching soon. In the break, please do keep sharing and recommending our podcast to others who you think might need an injection of a really good country story. And tell us where you're listening through a screenshot shared on Instagram via the hashtag crazyher And if you haven't already got your copy, the spring edition of GrazyHer is on sale now. Or you can make sure that you never miss an issue by signing up for a subscription at au. We'll be back with you soon.